Partridge. My name is Trevor Strunk. Hey, on Twitter. And I have with me uh, a recurring guest. Well, no, recurring a uh, repeat guest. I think you've been on two, two once, time twice now. I well, was going to say, yeah, two I think time this is now. my second time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it, it should have been more because you're such a good guest that like I want I want to have you on more often. But like, you know, we, well, thank you, you for the flattery. <laughs> oh, well, I, I like to start it that way, of course. Uh, I, I mean, you know, everyone's got busy lives. I understand. But um, including including myself, I suppose. But uh, we're here with Liz Ryerson uh, at Eliguro. Um Liz, thank you so much for being back on. I really appreciate it. No uh, how have you been? How are things going? Uh I've been okay. So yeah, I I actually reached out to you because I I guess I had a lot of thoughts about GDC this year. I mean, which is, by the way, the Game Developers Conference GDC is an event that happens theoretically every year in san francisco but of course during the covid years um it was it was canceled um right at the beginning of lockdown in march 2020 naturally sure and then it didn't happen in 2021 and it did happen last year in 2022 but it was about like half the attendance a lot of people were cagey about going um for covid reasons but that that's kind of the funny thing about this year is it, it wasn't really any different but people were way more <laughs> lax about covid um and that's yeah, america baby let's go yeah and i caught covid uh in the middle of the week and i <laughs> uh, had to isolate for 10 days and are you feeling better yeah i'm feeling better i wasn't like ever super sick but I, I was sick, like, uh, and it was hard to get, you know, before I tested positive, I was feeling under the weather and like, hmm. I don't know, it's just a weird year all around. And, uh, the other thing is like, because it's the first year back for so many people and it was like the first GDC that a lot of people went to, like a lot of people in their early twenties, you know, yeah, hadn't gone. Well, they wouldn't have gone to the yeah. ones in COVID. Yeah, of course. Exactly. So it was it was really a kind of a weird mix of it was it was kind of everything everywhere all at once <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it felt it, 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 there was just a lot at going on at once and i feel like it's it's good to like disentangle all of that because uh you don't normally see commentary in the world of games let's say that is really particularly great at uh disentangling all the different things that happen well, yeah, and I know I was saying that before we started, like the my experience with GDC this year, particularly, I mean, like when I first started this, I, I couldn't keep apart um, GDC and uh, GDQ, uh, which, of course, like very different, <laughs> very things. different. Uh, very, this is this is, of course, uh, GDQ is games done quick and GDC is day, games done quick. Um, <laughs> but I <laughs> just waiting to use that joke. Uh, no, like it is it is one of those things where like I can't. Um, like I, it's, it's a, it's a learning process, um, for me. And like this year's was so rapid, right? Like everything just happened. And I think the last time I talked about GDC on the podcast was probably with John on an old patch notes where we were talking about how it was canceled, right? Like yeah. because of COVID and like it, it felt like there were a ton of talks. I saw it, like I said, I saw your talk, um, advertised and that was really cool. And, and it seems like from what I watched, like a really good talk, which, and then, like, which, which one, uh, you were on a stage. Um, oh, the the main stage thing. Yes, the main stage thing. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll talk about that later. But Let's yeah, talk I, about that, yeah, I also did. Um, 
I've been co-hosting, or I started co-hosting the Experimental Game Workshop, formerly the Experimental Gameplay Workshop, which used to be hosted for many years by Jonathan Blow. Uh, Oh, wonder why he's not there anymore. Yeah, uh, well, and then it was hosted by uh, a certain person, Robin Hunnicky, um, and she was also booted off for reasons that I won't get into, but uh, you can look up the People Make Games YouTube channel if you... Want to know more about that, I guess. Definitely do that. If you want to know more about Jonathan Blow, uh, just look up when Soldier Boy played um, uh, <laughs> Braid, and you'll you'll have enough. I like um, that that's the enduring Jonathan Blow anecdote that everyone it, has now. It's so good. Like, he's, I, 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 like, Jonathan Blow, I've definitely brought him up before because it just hurt me so much because I did enjoy, like, the concept of Braid. I was like, oh, this is a neat little game. Like, what a, what a cute idea. And then, like, him being so self-aggrandizing about it, I was like, oh, this whole thing's ruined for me now. <laughs> I don't like this anymore. Yeah. Um, and to have him sort of just disappear from the space and then just become like a crank is is the best we could hope for. An inevitable path um, yeah. of so many. Actually, um, speaking of which, the founder of the Game Developers Conference, which, by the way, was started in the 80s. It was called, I think, the Computer Game Developers Conference. Okay. Um, it was founded by Chris Crawford. You know about Chris Crawford, right? I think so. Wait, I, I know a Chris Crawford. <laughs> I feel like I know a Chris Crawford in baseball, but not games. Uh, okay. Okay. So Chris Crawford was an old computer game developer, you know, of the like 80s uh, software kind of computer developers. He made a lot of like yeah. simulation games. One of them's called Balance of Power. Okay. Um, another one's called Balance of the Planet. And he's written, I think he has a, 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 you know, like an influential textbook about games, but he is the classic just perfect image of a crank like and <laughs> in in both like good and bad ways i guess um but he had a piece that people were circulating because he started the game developers conference and then i think in 1991 he did a famous it was one of the most famous like talks or speeches in in the world of games called the dragon speech you can find it online um and he basically invokes like don quixote as like saying that like you know, it's basically like the industry that I wanted, you know, that that I was hoping that we could create um, has not come to pass, you know. Um, and he talked about sort of he had a, he had good points in the speech. He talked about how sort of like the focus had become so much on marketing to specific niches of people who were very interested in a particular kind of like depth uh, but yeah. not interested in like a wide ranging artistic breadth that covered like a lot of different things. And it was becoming increasingly like you're increasingly marketing to like the hardcore crowd that was, you know, wanted a very specific type of experience. So that was part of it. Um and, you know, at the end, he, like, charges out with a sword and he, he like, pretends to be Don Quixote. And that was his exit from the Game Developers Conference. Oh, wow. OK. Um, so you, you should look it up. It's, you know, it is. I what mean, it that's is. a that's a cool kind of crank in some ways. Like that reminds me of sort of like an old guy at a flea market you'd run into. Who, yeah, like, there's something very some thoughts. Yeah, there's something very romantic about it. Um, but then the next 20 years, he's like, well, I'm going to solve interactivity. And and uh, guess what? Uh, he didn't. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Him and him and Ian Bogos to keep trying and uh, I just can't, can't seem to nail it down. It like in I, around 2011, 2010, he's like, uh, my long mission 
mission has been a failure. <laughs> it's like my life's work has been a fail. It's like, damn, man. But in 2010, That's harsh. He, yeah. In 2010, he wrote a, a piece that people were sharing about the founding of the Game Developers Conference. Um, and it's it's kind of the definition of unreliable narrator. There are a lot of like really strange things about this piece. Um, sure. What, what is it titled? I have it uh, open here. I can link you to it. Um, yeah, please. It's called the Computer Game Developers Conference. It's on his site, which is <laughs> his personal blog is called Erasmataz. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and and one you know, of his good, good for him. Yeah, one of live his your truth. One of his like things that he had worked on for many many years was called Storytron. Um, <laughs> that actually, you know, uh, that should have been the name of my book. I should have called it Storytron instead of Story Mode. That would have been good. Um, wow, that's a. Uh, <laughs> I, I like honestly like the. It's funny that the. Um, like the the that kind of developer right like that that era of developer is so like uniquely I don't want to say embarrassing because it's a little cruel but like uh kind of like um uh, it's a, he's like a comic book guy nerd type nerd you know like that type yeah. of yeah no that's exactly right and it's like it is it's this weird um quality that like all those early games criticism guys have where like. They they got brought up on like Colossal Cave Adventure and Mystery House and were like, oh, this is like or the, you know, the Philip K, uh, not Philip K, Dick, the William Gibson uh, disappearing mm. poem. And they're like, oh, my God, I this is this is it. This is, the, this is the future. Zork. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, the, you know, this is the future. And then when it wasn't exactly that future, they all got really upset. Do um, you are you a fan of uh, what's his name? Uh, Kustikian? I am. I don't know him. No. Oh, Greg Kostikian. Oh, you should look him up. He's such a yeah. great crank. Uh, he was more like. I don't want to say like. I don't want to say like materialist, but like I remember his analysis being more uh, sort of brutal and trenchant or whatever. And he supposedly was one of the writers of the Scratchware Manifesto from two thousand. Okay. I do know that. Yes. Yeah. Although, you know, okay. anonymous, but he used to have a blog and yeah, that was his thing. I remember seeing him, I think at like a panel at Indiecade in like 2013 or something like that. Indiecade is another event that um, has happened. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, um, the thing that I find interesting about this piece is uh, people are sharing it, talking about like the ownership of of GDC because that's been you know in the in the in the discourse. Um, but um, it does explain one thing, and I, I do think the piece, like I said, is kind of the definition of an unreliable narrator. There are things that sure. don't make Chris look good, um, but um, I, I I think the thing that is the most interesting about it is they're like, well, you know, we're a professional game developers conference and we wanted to keep it, they wanted to keep it small. So they're like, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll raise the price. Uh, oh, so we'll, we'll keep out the consumers. Uh, and, and what ended up happening is uh, it became very profitable uh, and it didn't keep out <laughs> the, the <laughs> random people. And so now GDC has forevermore been incredibly expensive with the philosophy that like, oh, it'll keep out developers or sorry, it will keep out non-developers. 
Um, and so most people who go to GDC, um, they have their company pay for it or their academic institution. Maybe they're a student or a teacher or they're like speaking, you know, which they get a free pass for, or they're like, uh, nominated for something, you know? So it's like one of those things. So most people go to GDC, they don't pay because the, the prices are absurd. I don't know if you've ever looked at the prices for it. I, I, I like perused them at one point it was like it was the le- the level of price where i was just like well i can't go to this um yeah you're like I'll, I'll look at stuff like that and think like wouldn't it be cool if i went for the podcast would that be interesting to people and like the i think just like the the level of of cost involved was just like okay well that's just not plausible i can't do that you'd have to find someone doing a panel like talk yep. or something and get on get in on that so you get a free pass or you know something like that or you know find a, a publication that would pay for you to, to to do it or or an academic institution but yeah and it's crossed my mind but it's one of those things where it's like that's that's a that's a problem that that involves a a, a benefactor of some sort it's not yeah. the kind of thing where it's like yeah i'm just gonna go um yeah, and I think been, that's probably what it is for most people. Yeah, I've been able to go because of either like judging or jurying for the independent games festival, which we can talk about in a in a second, um, or doing like talks. Um, and and that's fact, great. Yeah, I mean, and that's the fact that for, I you know? used to live in the Bay Area, so I have a friend who I can like stay with, which is why I could spend, you know, 10 days isolating in Oakland, you know, after I got COVID. So you're telling me that uh, is it, you're telling me that also the, uh, the Bay area is not a cheap place to stay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is the first time I'm hearing this. I, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's true. Like I, you know, we were, we were talking about it off air, like the, the, the discourse that, I mean, we don't have to go into here cause I don't think either of us are super interested in it, but like, uh, about you know why is why is why is it in the Bay Area or whatever um, and like I, I get it from that angle where it's like this is already like the most expensive thing I'm going to do all year why does it have to be more expensive yeah I mean it's it's a real struggle for so many people not just because I mean obviously even if you get the pass paid for they they almost never like unless you're having an institution pay for it right uh, they never pay for like hotels or whatever um and they don't they only sometimes give you like a bare minimum travel stipend it's like it's dependent on whether people ask for it like i got one um and i got paid a little bit to do uh the um the main stage thing but it, like Good. normally you don't really get paid to do talks or anything which is a thing that people have you know complained about criticized actually um one of the guys uh who made uh the game pentiment by obsidian yeah, game. The, the um that's uh that's uh josh josh lawyer's game i think so yeah on yeah, yeah. stage at the gdc awards he deli- he talked about that you can find it i think it was streamed on twitch uh oh, when cool. he accepted award he said he talked about why he didn't like GDC's policies. A, a lot of some of it was about accessibility. Some of it was about the COVID stuff, but some of it was also about like not adequately compensating speakers. Um, mm. Which I thought was a you know it was a nice move that that he did that. Even though that I heard what? somebody mm, later complain in the in the line for the bathroom that Obsidian pays like shit. That's what somebody said. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't speak to it, but uh, I, I will I will disclose that Josh is a friend of the podcast as well. So I can't my my thoughts on Obsidian are probably not uh, particularly reliable as far as that goes. But um, 
Yeah, I, I believe fair he, enough. I believe he. I believe he'd try to pay as well as he could. That's that's my thought. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 bathroom line gossip. So take that. Yeah, for what you no, will. I mean, listen, most bathroom line gossip, I would absolutely um, believe wholeheartedly because I think uh, it's probably the best place to get your uh, least censored thoughts. But um, yeah, no, it's it, it is interesting. Like it, it's kind of a. I don't know. Like, it's not a it's I don't want to overblow it and say like it's an allegory for the for the industry or whatever. But like, it's an interesting problem where like you get this distaste for consumers um, in like almost every kind of older game maker where like it really was kind of like an industry. And now that it's more sort of like anyone can pick up a game and, and make it if they sort of familiarize themselves with the tools, there's a sort of democratization insofar as, you know, piracy is real um, to a degree that like the younger generation seems to be more comfortable with the blending of consumer and producer. And the older generation seems to think this is like pretty, pretty damning, pretty, pretty rough on the entire industry as a whole. Um, Yeah. I mean, to some extent, I I do think that exists, but it's like it's complicated by different factors. Like I I do mm. think like the indie space has become more and more professionalized, and like I see a lot of uh, people coming out of school, like game development programs, who are in their like early twenties, who are instantly like wanting to start indie studios and oh, and, wow. and procure funding and you know build their portfolio, which like. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was people doing hobbyist development and it was more like, well, I'm going to, you know, strike it out on my own and I'm going to, you know, do my own vision or whatever, which is like, you know, there were there were issues with that. But like, I think that fantasy has become way more professionalized. And a lot of people have pointed out how that is sort of mirrored what happened to the game industry in the 90s, which, Mm, you know, mm It went sure. from uh, hobbyist developers kind of or, or people who are kind of outsiders, you know, making big splashes to becoming more and more dominated by publishers and, you know, um, the the processes of making games um, became much more uh, like regimented and, and, and divided in specific ways because games got bigger and it kind of necessitated a sort a sort of like almost Fordist, you know, kind of approach <laughs> to game. That's, a good, that's actually a good way of thinking about it. Like that it is in fact like a Fordist approach because I, you know, like you definitely think about, or you hear about people talking through the, the you know, the, the growth of game studios, but I think like the, the assembly lineification of them and like the specification of each job and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that can't be ignored. Um, it's true, I, but I also think that kind of process is a little bit in danger increasingly oh. because of how expensive those games are, you know? Now, uh, so that's interesting. Like, um, I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to table what I was going to say because that's more okay. interesting. Um, uh, do you think that the profit of AAA Studios games are outstripping their viability? I mean, this is something that comes up a lot as a scare kind of thing, particularly around, um, I don't know, particularly around like higher game prices and whether or not we should be paying like $80 for a game instead of 60 or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I've, I've only ever heard people dismiss it, and, but it seems like an interesting question to me. So is this like, do you, do you think it is in danger because of like the, the exorbitant cost? 
Is that actually something that would uh, would threaten it? I think it absolutely is. I mean, mm. um, I, I don't know. I So I wrote a piece or a blog post, a very, very long blog post uh, before GDC um, and uh, talking about like, you know, my experiences specifically with like indie games, but also just like talk about like the game industry and the kind of artistic status uh, of games and there was one or two things that I found that kind of indicated, I don't know, I just got this increasing sense doing it that like there is some, like th- there is something that is just not inherently sustainable about that kind of development. Mm. Um, and I have there's a quote that I'm trying to find here. Um, yeah, you'll have to send me the link to, to, the, to the piece because I want to, I'll link your blog, but obviously this piece as well because I missed yeah. this one. Okay. So I found a post um, on GameDeveloper.com, which is like used to be called Gamma Sutra, but they rebranded oh, yeah. it. Um, okay, which is I was actually I just thought Gamma Sutra closed down. I didn't know no, it got rebranded. Uh, okay, it's uh, good that they rebranded it because uh, Gamma Sutra for a website that is like uh, a part of the same <laughs> organism of like GDC and some of this other stuff. It's like. Um, Really, Gamma Sutra was a really stupid name. <laughs> um, <laughs> that seems true. Yeah. But yeah, uh, this is a post. And like, you know, it's a games analyst. I, I don't know. Take it for what you will. But he said uh, his name was Liam. Liam Diane, I think. Yeah. Liam. Uh, Liam Dean. Oh, wow. I misspelled that. Okay. <laughs> I need to, I need to fix that typo. <laughs> Liam Dean. Uh, he said almost every trend that we see in the games industry today, from the frenzy of studio acquisitions to the constant, constant search for new revenue streams to the pro- proliferation of startups offering game tech solutions can be traced back to the cracks that are growing ever clearer in the gaming, uh, industry's traditional economic model. Mm. So this was from the end of last year. Okay. I thought was an interesting observation. And then there's a um, a piece for Kotaku in 2017 by Jason Schreier that uh, he's, where he says, observers like me worry that the video game industry's current path is not sustainable. Um, so just something to watch. Mm. But anyway, yeah. we, we don't have to get into that too much. But I, I do think that there is something... Um, you know, if you look at I, I, the cyberpunk thing is is a great example, but um, I'm sort of getting the sense that the fucking Elder Scrolls game that comes out this year is going to be a fiasco. But I guess we'll see. No, I, I, I feel you on that. Like, it, it feels like there's a lot of build up for it. But like, if it was called anything except, you know, the Elder Scrolls, it would not be. Or no, sorry, be- I. I meant Starfield. I meant I meant uh, uh, the. I thought the, I I thought we were talking about like the the ever delayed like what what's next for the Elder Scrolls. Okay, that makes more sense. I, I mean, I guess both, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about Starfield. I meant the Bethesda okay. game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, I well, yeah, Starfield's going to be a, a nightmare, I think. Um, and maybe that's just because I keep confusing it with that other um, no scam Man's game. Sky? No, no, that that one actually that's kind of like a, a story of resiliency. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, uh, God, uh, what's it called? The um, like Star Citizen or something like that. Is that what it is? Oh, okay. Uh, There's a lot of star games. It's the one that like has never Starbound, been put out. There's oh, okay, yeah, I don't. That know. That just like it's basically at this point, it's basically like a a, a giant Ponzi scheme where they where. <laughs> They, oh. they keep making a they keep asking people for more money and it never comes out. Um, I think Star Citizen is is yeah, it's okay. a development multiplayer space trading combat simulation game. Yeah, it's uh 
it's going to be, yeah, uh, they've done like a million Kickstarters since 2013. Uh, it's just a, a quagmire at this point. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I, I, yeah, I think, I don't know. Like, I think, I think you're probably right. And I think like part of the reason that it feels that way uh, for me anyway, is because um, every, every studio and like this might, this might actually speak to the same problem. You know, I never know. I never knew if it was like, um, actually going to stop being viable to make these triple a games but it seems on some level that like um the the safety nets that the 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 developers put in in order to keep these games like at a bare minimum of profit uh means that you're going to end up with more and more generic uh games as opposed to like something that feels unique or like within the you know bethesda universe or something like that um and and you know ultimately that might just be the same problem yeah, well, and it, I mean, the game industry has done so many weird, like, workarounds to try and extract more money off of these games, you know, from DLC to microtransactions to, you know, like, all that kind of stuff is 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 just trying to juice as much money uh, as you can out of it, and, and ethically, you know, the, the business model of so many, like, free-to-play companies being uh, based off of, um, you know, like what they call whales you know people who spend <laughs> shit tons yes. of money is like like that there's ethically i don't know it's not good and it also introduces other problems which uh could end up coming home to roost we'll say um but yeah i, I think the, the the thing that i was uh talking about with gdc too is that like um the sort of corporate co consolidation that's happened um I like the it used to be run by by UBM which was a, a company and that then got bought out by another company called Informa and I guess I want to say here that like you know for doing the the main stage uh the, the main stage was like <laughs> I've I've grown tired trying to explain what it is cuz a lot of people uh, don't know, but like they do like, you know, they did like keynote talks that then they transitioned into this like main stage thing where, you know, anybody with any pass level can attend and it's in the big stage where like the awards are and they have three big speakers and, um, you it's know, this of, year. It's a little bit like a, like a, an academic conference in that way, right? Like sort of yeah. like how MLA would work or something like that. But yeah, I got asked. I, I'm not sure why, but um, but I got asked to MC them just just introduce the other people. Um, so that was fun, and that happened immediately before I got COVID. So uh, I guess uh, it was good that I was able to do that. Um, yeah, and I said something about trans rights. I got people to say trans rights on stage, which was fun. Um, that is fun. Yeah. Did they how how is how is GDC as far as this is something that that actually you put in your notes that I was really interested to ask you about GDC in terms of uh, trans uh, trans rights trans issues uh, I mean this sort of goes at a longer status you have there with harassment awards Novo Trans Award yeah um, but I'm curious like if you know from the people I see you know I guess from the people I see working there right like or like putting stuff out. It's probably just my echo chamber, but I would, I would assume it's pretty good on trans rights, but it is the game mm, industry, so it's, it, it's, it's likely it's, mixed. It's very complicated. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, Please do. 
the thing that I wanted to say is like the people that I dealt with, uh, like the events coordinator and like the, uh, the person running the event, um, were both very nice to me and, uh, seem to, you know, be doing as good of a job as they can. But I think what has happened is, um, you know, like it's austerity, you know, like Mm, it, mm -hmm. it feels like every year that I've gone to GDC, they've cut down things a little more or they've like cut down people that they actually pay a little more like it you used to when you know when you went to gdc you used to not have to wait in line like an hour and a half for registration but now with like covid status and stuff uh they they do that now where they they're checking but they don't require they didn't require masks this year uh but they did do like a covid check but there were only like six people paid to do that or something like that so the lines were absurdly long took forever yeah it took forever and it just never was an issue before that um so that so there's that um, and then there's like other things that just like, they used to, they used to give you a tote bag every year and then they stopped doing that. <laughs> they used to give you a card. Like if you were a speaker to pay for your, uh, lunches and then they, they, they turned that into just like pieces of paper that my oh, friend was calling oh. company script, you know, <laughs> like how much of this, how much of this is GDC specific and how much is like, just like. Uh, the, the, the sort of natural tendency of like a con culture where like, you know, you think about something like San Diego Comic-Con, which started as a very like fan oriented, uh, you know, you could probably get up close to any of the speakers thing and now has become like essentially just like um, screenings of new movies and 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 very sort of like detached from a, from a, like over time, you know, like uh, yeah. how much of this is like specific to GDC or how much is like. Just in fact, the uh, the, the the tendency of any co- uh, convention that is becoming more and more popular. I think it's just a hundred percent like austerity, like informa okay. stuff, where they're like, "Oh, we're not going to pay for this thing now, so you have to find a way to work around that." And you know, the other thing I will say about the people running the event is, like I said, most of the people that I dealt with um, from informa were really nice. Um, and, and most of them were women too. Uh, and that tells you something that like in a, in a, uh, industry where, you know, the gender diversity makeup is not good. I mean, not that it's ever great in a lot of industries, right. but if there are mostly women working somewhere, you know, that they pay less than, <laughs> than they would <laughs> otherwise, you know, sad, but true. Yes. Um, cause I don't know, you know, that like, it just, it's just a thing like in, in industries where, where there are like women doing the work, like it's, it's stuff that makes a lot less money because those opportunities are there for people who don't normally, who normally get passed over in other places. So right. that's just something that I, I feel is a little weird and, and unfortunate, but like I said, the people that I dealt with were nice. So I don't want to like, you know, trash well, them or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds a little bit like going back to like the Chris Crawford thing. Like it sounds a little bit like the, uh, the, the, the way that the con has changed just based on that initial, uh, move to, you know, like add, add profit and, and differentiate from the hoi polloi has sort of like, you know, this is just an intensification of the profit, uh, motive with, uh, with, uh, the new owners. And like, certainly that doesn't necessarily mean that the, uh, the, the people working there, they may in fact be completely innocent of that and just like getting a job. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like, sounds like that might be part of it as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, people, people need to <laughs> need to work where they're, where they can, you know, 
And that's, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. I mean, that, that's like that's why I've gotten more involved with things, you know, like the IGF or I don't know the, the, this experimental game workshop, which I mentioned earlier. Is yeah, like we'll talk about that more. Those aren't things that like you know make money inherently for me but like they are like opportunities to like have an effect over the landscape that i don't think would have been there like 10 years ago when more more money was congregated around them so mm. there's an opportunity there to like you know try and reshape it and at least make a, a positive impact which i think is why especially around the pandemic i think i realized that like a lot of this stuff was um, losing people, losing uh, just naturally, like because, you know, things were locked down. And I don't know, the pandemic was a was an excuse for companies to go all shock doctrine on everyone. And, oh, 100 you know. percent. Yeah, no, no. I mean, like, yeah, the when when it was like, oh, all this stuff will be coming back. Don't worry. Uh, it was I, I think anyone, anyone who, you know, understood the, you know, the sort of politics around austerity would have told you. A lot of this stuff is not coming back. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And so it's like an opportunity to get involved and be more, have more say. So I, I think I realized that. And that's cool. And in that sense, that's been positive. But yeah, the thing that I will say about the trans stuff is like I mentioned on the stage, like, you know, trans rights and people were definitely seemed excited by that. Um, I, I do know people anecdotally who said that they feel like they got misgendered more than usual and like we're treated kind of with more kind of just not from i don't know not necessarily by like gdc volunteers but maybe people they paid to do security or like random people attending the conference mm -hmm. uh who seem to be more hostile to you know trans people in general and and i guess my big concern um it, and I definitely got misgendered like multiple times, which wasn't great because I feel mm. like I've been doing this stuff for so long. I got yeah. misgendered like going into the main stage thing, what? like by somebody. That's that's um, pretty. That's pretty like. I mean, just just from any like that's just like extremely like I, it's it's unacceptable a priori. Like obviously, it's unacceptable to misgender someone, but like to misgender one of your speakers on your main stage is like egregiously yeah. unacceptable. <laughs> It wasn't like the people, you know, it wasn't like the main people that I dealt with, but you know, it was still, it's like, why did you need to even, you know, you, yeah. you could just use they, if you were unsure, you know? Right. So I, I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, hmm. Interesting. So that was the thing. But the th one thing that I'm concerned about is like, I've juried consistently for um, this uh, award that's called, they called it like the Nuovo Award, which is like supposed to be, I don't know, it's supposed to be like the innovation new? or like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it just means new in Italian, I think. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, that's, uh, I, I was wondering if it was like an acronym or if they just took the word from no. new from it. Okay, cool. Um, that's neat. And I like that yeah, award. <laughs> it was started like, I can't remember, like 2010 to 2009. It was like something that specifically like a lot of people demanded. I think the first one was won by like Cactus or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. someone like that. And so it was like a, an award that um, a lot of people considered a poor, important, but a lot of those games were are like niche. And 
Um, I think that's the thing that I've been the most involved with, like jurying for. And increasingly, like it's been the kind of like one the, it and like the student award for IGF for the experiment or for the independent game festival um, have have been kind of the refuge for games that kind of are what indie more used to be, you know, in terms of like games that are have lower production values are made by like smaller development teams and have yeah. some interesting like character to them, but aren't inherently like super polished, maybe necessarily. Um, and you know, that's what got me into like indie game development is being interested in stuff like that. So, um, but increasingly like a lot of those developers are queer and trans. And so like a majority of the things nominated for the Wovo award were like by like either queer or trans people. And it feels like that wasn't reflected in other aspects or like that mm. kind of games about the queer experience or whatever have never become like uh, a force that is seen as, I, I don't know, like it, or, or at least the, the certain types of games, like, you know, there are games like, I don't know, Gone Home or whatever that I, I wouldn't even really consider queer games, but some people do. I've, yeah, I've, I've like, I mean, as a as a, a cishet man, I'm probably not the person to say, but I, I mean, I wrote a whole article about how the Gone Home doesn't really speak to any like tangible uh, queer politics. It just the house of, is so fucking big in that. <laughs> It's I like, like, how can you afford such a big house? Anyway. Yeah, like, the, the whole thing, it's like it. it oh, I, I never liked how it just like tossed it at the end where you're like, don't you like, don't you like feel good about being like an ally in 1995? It's like this is yeah. the cheapest uh, whatever. It's I uh, mean, I I guess there are games like uh, Celeste or Unpacking that that's kind of an implicit uh, theme, but you don't have to engage with that side of it. Um, but like a lot of these games, uh, the Nuovo ones are kind of more confrontational. We'll say there's a game called he fucked the girl out of me, uh, <laughs> which was about, it was, um, it's about someone, uh, who was trans, who was, uh, was like a, a sex worker and, mm -hmm. you know, it was about trauma and stuff. Pretty, um, a very bold title, but a pretty sad game, but also like very well made and very, uh, well done. It was like a game boy. It was made for game boy. Like, so oh. they had like a CRT, uh, not critical race, a, a CRT monitor. <laughs> I, I hope I like, this is, this is Sarah. I hope everyone listening to the podcast knows what CRT means in yeah. this context, but perhaps yeah. not. This is a gaming podcast. Yeah. All. Hopefully. Yes. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was very artfully done. Um, mm. But yeah, it's an example of like, you know, something it's not respectable, you know, it's not like this. And, and and so there is that that feeling that like, you know, like the the trans people are not like seen as respectable. They're not seen as like photogenic. They're they're kind of like, well, OK, you know, you're important, but let's push you to the side. And I, I'm, I'm kind of increasingly getting that sense. Mm. And a part of it is just about like what games you know, increasingly, like, the indie space has become... I, I, I mean, I personally don't believe that... It, I believe that indie games as a concept are sort of dead, and I feel like this a year at, at GDC kind of solidified it to me, where I, like, <laughs> the indie summit talks that happen, which are happen, like, the first two days, and are, you know, the indie game-centered ones, like... A lot of... Like, it felt like half the talks were all about marketing your game, um, which like has always been a thing, but it's like, it, it's 
it's become more naked uh the this kind of landscape of like uh well here's how to market here's how to get on a publisher it's become like more professionalized mm-hmm. which and in in doing so um it has like pushed so many developers further to the fringes um where they don't get a lot of engagement or interest and i remember like the game that won igf this year was actually a pretty pretty weird uh and um you know left field choice is this game called um betrayal at club low by cosmo d have you ever heard of any of his games uh, i don't know uh let me see he made a game other... called off peak that like got some attention i think um, i've heard of off peak yeah I, but I, yeah it's you know sounds really interesting yeah yeah i i've i hang out like i know the guy um a little bit because he lives in uh new york but like um his stuff is like very it's more left field and offbeat. He was like a jazz musician. So like stuff is like soundtrack, but it has this kind of like cool bohemian vibe. It's like very, it's pretty strange. And I remember somebody like anecdotally telling me that like others of their friends who were like, you know, more invested in the traditional indie space were like, well, who the fuck has heard of this game? Why did this game win? You know, like <laughs> who cares about this, you know? And it's like, I feel like increasing distance between like the people who are just invested in this space in terms of like business opportunity and people who are, um, who are trying to do things that are off feed and and left field and whatever. And like those things are really diverged. And, um, even in like the traditional industry, like a lot of the, a majority of like the games that are really tried to being marketed as like these middle middle brow kind of like Annapurna type uh, things. Right. Right. Um, a lot of them don't make tons of, I mean, I assume Annapurna, like some of their games are very successful, but there are a lot of games in that vein that aren't. So it is like a narrowing category. Um, and it, it's, it's pushing a lot of the stuff that's on the fringes even further to the fringes. And that's kind of like my concern, especially when so many of those people are like trans and especially in an, in an age where it feels like a lot of institutions that were like, you know, much more theoretically supportive on trans rights, or at least were like recognized the necessity of them have now decided that trans people are the enemy, you know? Right. Um, and, and you can see a little bit of like walking back. It's like, okay, you're not respectable. You're not photogenic, you know? So, but like, there are a lot of trans people in game development. Um, and I do think some, I do have seen other people say that they felt really accepted and, and it it felt great to meet so many other queer and trans people. So that's why I say like the experience is very mixed as far as like that's concerned, but it goes back to like what I'm thinking about in terms of like respectability and like uh, marketability and stuff. And, and that's like part of what, like, uh, you know, I was involved with the experimental game workshop and like, um, it used to be experimental gameplay workshop, which again used to be hosted by Jonathan blow, um, the uh, most experimental gamer of all time yeah (laughs) i like braid was something that was shown there yeah i mean like but if you look back to like their like and i talk about this in my piece uh the the california problem like my blog post if you look back to like the kind of stuff that they showed in like i don't know 2009 2008 it's a lot of like the stuff that would blow up kind of in the indie space it's like the game flower you know by that game company or or spelunky is there and there's some other ones that are like 
part of that space, but maybe a little less known. You know, even before that, they showed Katamari Damacy there. Like, that was kind of one of the things that was responsible for, like, breaking it, uh, that game in the U.S. And so it was, like, very attached to a certain, uh, the, like, indie boom, you know, that happened that started Mm -hmm. in the late 2000s. Yeah. And I, I think, like, a criticism that was made for many years uh, that I heard, and that also Keita Takahashi actually made. Um, okay. Of the experimental gameplay workshop, it was that it's it's all about games. It was all about games that limited themselves to one gimmick. So it's like, well, here's a game where it's like, you know, you gotta you gotta jump on platforms, but the game turns sideways, and like, woo, that's crazy, ha ha ha, you know, like that that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, and you know, it was like designed to get you know, to get people to laugh or be like, Ooh, that's a cool gimmick, but you know, not very deep after that. And like that, that was kind of like a lot of that era of indie games had that kind of design sensibility. And I think part of it is like the, the idea of like, you're, you have to market yourself on novelty because you don't have the production values, um, necessary to kind of like, um, you know, make something that is a more kind of breadth of experience that people want. So you're marketing yourself kind of on what makes me unique and, and what makes me interesting. But it led to a lot of those games kind of, uh, you know, replicating the, themselves. And, you know, it, it became like a self uh, perpetuating thing to a point where it was kind of like a self parody in terms of games that like all had one interesting gimmick, but weren't inherent. They were all following like the braid format, but not doing, but doing less than Braid did with it, which I I, I do think Braid is a pretty good game. So oh yeah, <laughs> no, though, I like I, Jonathan Blow. Notwithstanding, I think Braid is, is a good game. I I enjoyed yeah. it. I thought it was interesting. I think like, so. One of the things that I find really interesting about what you're saying, like, there's a couple of things I wanted to to tease out. One was uh, I'm curious, just before I forget it. So you mentioned Annapurna and the middle market or the middle brow sort of thing. Are you of the opinion? And and this is sort of like long been my opinion, but I'm I'm. You know, I love having my opinions challenged uh, that like a middle market or I keep saying middle market because I hear that at work. Um, Middle brow uh, uh, sort of taste uh, in games, sort of like not triple A and not indie uh, improves the sort of landscape of gaming in the same way that, say, uh, a middle brow uh, enhances uh, film by like allowing kind of like you know, not super profitable, but not uh, purely independent things and and avenue. uh, So they're not clogging up any other position or, you know, they can, they can kind of like draw out their, their insights there. Um, Do you see Annapurna as like a particularly like, and like, I should say, I have no connection to Annapurna. Uh, So be, be honest, Uh, like Annapurna, that, that, that kind of like middle brow thing, do you see that as a positive or, or a sort of like deleterious influence in, in the market right now? I, I think it's a negative influence, okay. um, and I think it's a negative influence in film. I, I don't like the elevated horror stuff. I think it's obnoxious. <laughs> well, so you, you would say you would say elevate. Okay, so like when I was thinking of Middlebrow, I was thinking of just like um, kind of like uh, the 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 old um, oh god, like like basically like old blockbusters that would not not blockbusters, but like summer movies that like you know were cost you know. 20 million dollars and and you know we're in and out of the fairly forgettable thrillers or whatever i I mean it's 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 stuff like like guess who's coming to dinner or whatever you know (laughs) like 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 movies that are like deal with important issues and like uh are 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 sort of marketed on this idea of importance but like don't necessarily stand the test of time artistically yeah and i think that's i think that's a concern and that was like you know i talk about this in my piece that like the auteur theory came out of 
people, the the French sort of new wave came out of people who fucking detested the middle brow. Like they hated it. <laughs> like they they want they they worship like fucking you know trash B movies and also like you know directors like um you know Robert Robert Brisson or yeah, you know yeah. people who are like highbrow too. But like. that that's uh, i mean that's just my concern there and and i want to say this in terms of like i know a lot of people who've had their games published by annapurna um they publish good games like i don't have issues with like the developers per se yeah i wasn't trying to get you into a gotcha there yeah it was like yeah yeah. and and i think people like I'm, i'm sure some of those people are annoyed by the fact that i'm saying this i had some people someone who's like oh you're obsessed with annapurna and it's like no it's because it has a directly negative impact on the stuff that i'm interested in which is the mm-hmm. more fringe stuff that is not respectable is maybe not going to inherently have a large audience maybe it could have a bigger audience than it has right now you know but you know maybe we'll never have this large audience but i also just don't think that it's like necessarily working like the the whole problem that I had with indie games is this idea that it was creating a separate category of game where it's like, oh, these are the good ones that are, oh, you know, yeah, like, for sure, you know, like we're we're doing we're doing things that are more and and Jonathan Blow like directly pay, played into that. It's like, oh, well, these are the games that are more interesting and you know that are that are they're doing something that are more. But like the more that you kind of try to analyze that, the more that it breaks down because like you know what is included in that category and what isn't and like so many indie games were as becoming like as formulaic as like the triple triple a games that they were you know meant to sort of criticize so for me it's like you can't um you can't separate those two things out like they're they're part of the same thing like indie games and and regular and that's why i feel like indie is dead in some sense because it's not a useful term to me to kind of like you know, like it had some use in, 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 uh, advocating for certain types of games that were not in the like triple a model, but to pretend that those games have never existed until like indie games or art games never existed. It's not true. And it, it like feeds into negative things in different ways. Like it feeds into the idea that like, okay, well, you know, fuck the rest of games. We're elevated from them. We're better. You know, we're going to market ourselves to a, to an elevated audience, which, which I don't agree with, but, but then also it's the other side of like, Oh, these are not real games. They're not real. They're not for real gamers. They're walking semi, you know, they're, they deal with social issues, you know, like the reactionary gamer gaty opinions. And it like leads to those things. And I, and I just think that that is what I hate so much that, that idea that it's like a separate category. And I, and I do think that like the fantasy of so many people like Jonathan Blow and like uh, was this idea that like, oh, we're going to we're going to or like people like Genova Chen, like um, mm-hmm. there's this documentary called Us in the Game Industry that is I, I wouldn't really recommend watching, but um, it does like really embody like the certain like kind of discourse around indie games and a certain my my friend described it. Uh, Alex Ross, who's like a games researcher, uh, described it as a, a Scientology recruitment video for the indie games industry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, but accurate um, or not, like, and I, I believe is I'm sure it's accurate, but like, that's yeah, just one of those, it's one of those descriptions that is just, I mean, I don't, I almost don't care if it's accurate. It's perfect. 
Yeah, it's it's a good description, but um, I'd say it's accurate. But yeah, there's like Genova Chen is in it um, of of that game company is in it and saying like, well, you know, a lot of people are wanting to make games that are pushing the boundaries, but hopefully, you know, this if, if we're successful, then it'll open the space for other games like this. So this idea of like, okay, we're trying to create this market category mm-hmm. that allows for these game consumers who are not normally playing these games to come in and play them. And it's like, that really hasn't happened that much. I mean, like those games do have probably some new audiences, but it hasn't like it it hasn't made these games like beyond like a few handful of things like, you know, games like the Stanley Parable or whatever that are like seem to strike the consciousness in one way or another. But like beyond like a handful of games, like those games really aren't in the center of, of any conversation. Um, and they haven't had this like massive impact on sort of changing the industry's consciousness. They've just become a separate category. And I think that that's part of the, the issue that I have is the idea that one, that the idea that these games are any more elevated than other types of games. Um, but two, just the, 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 the that they are like uh, of a separate category that they don't belong with other games. Right. And that, and that sort of comes to comes back to these these queer games or experimental games where people are like, oh well these are not real games. Like yes they are. Sorry that you're <laughs> you're poisoned by thinking that only like Mario or Call of Duty or whatever are real games, but there are in fact other things that exist and have existed for the entirety of the history of video games and your interest is driven by fucking corporate consumer culture. And if if you don't understand that then you're fucking in the dark about this stuff. And mm-hmm. that's what I I, I hate about it and it's never gotten it feels like it hasn't improved or gotten any better and like just the the general atmosphere of hostility in the game space i mean i was reading um uh, a post uh the other day of like somebody who was uh who was doing studies about harassment in the game industry yeah um and they said uh, here let me find it actually um yeah okay this is this is a, a twitter uh tweet from uh, Daniel Kelly, who's a, a, a games, uh, who does, has done surveys of hate and harassment in online games. And he says, I'll be frank, the results are awful. Things are not getting better. And he just talks about how there's actually been an increase in online harassment and hate, like in the last year. Um, and like, I think 89% of people, um, who played games have have reported being harassed at least once and like something like 75 percent have 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 said that they've experienced intense harassment for online games god so like the 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 space is still very hostile around games but and then we have stuff like what happened at gdc this year which is what the main discourse that everyone was talking about was apparently like multiple people like i think six people four women and two men got their drinks drugged at parties oh around gdc yeah it's horrible right but and that's all like you, you would assume i mean of course it's a it's an unfair assumption i suppose but not entirely i mean you'd assume most of that was coming from other people who were at gdc like it's not this isn't you know i, I i'm not making myself clear it's it you 
this isn't a bunch of bad actors. Like these are no, your fellow developers. It's not people who like, I'm sure people want to think it's somebody who like snuck into a party or whatever, but no, like it's been a problem with the game industry. And somehow, like, I, I think what happened with Gamergate is there was like a cognitive dissonance for a lot of people who worked in the industry. They're like, well, you know, we're not like that. We don't buy into that. You know, we're not a part of that. And and like uh, increasing separation and hostility between people who make games and like the consumers, but it's all part of the same space. And like, I think at some level people know it and it does trickle into like, you know, game development as much as people want to pretend that that stuff doesn't exist around game development. Of course it fucking does. It's all part of the same culture. And that's what pisses me off is like, And and this is what kind of embodied GDC for me this year of like people being like so excited and being like, oh, you know, it's so great to be back and all that kind of stuff. But like kind of blind to the the fact that this it's the same industry with the same problems and acting like these things are solved because there's like maybe a little bit more diversity, which like the thing that's been talked about is how a lot of um, this is something actually um, on the main stage. One of the talks from uh uh, Shindana, oh god, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Akinayake. He has a studio. He's working on a game called Thirsty Suitors, which is, by the way, being published by Annapurna. But well, anyway, <laughs> um, um, but he did he did have a really good point in his talk about like a lot of uh, you know, in 2020, and this happened in a lot of industries. Like after the George Floyd protests, a lot of um, companies are like, well, you know, we need to we need to start having more, you know, hiring more diverse people Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. to these positions and like what's happened over the last two years a lot of those people have left or been unhappy with their jobs and like this is a trend that i've seen like in terms of um you know like a lot of women or like you know people of color getting hired to like you know community management positions or like diversity officer positions Mm -hmm. where they have to deal with all the unpleasant stuff and like they don't really have a say over like what happens at the company and and if something bad happens at the company and people try to unionize then they're like foisted against those people so they're like a wedge against labor too mm. like and so there's just like so many it and that was another thing like i feel like people kept talking about like oh we need better working environments but everyone was like talking around like everyone was afraid to talk about unions well, you yeah know? sure of like, course because like yeah the, you don't want to upset the the capital that's there too right like i mean it's not just the laborers at gdc it's the money as well yeah and it well but a lot of these people are also like uh either trying to get jobs at studios or trying to start their indie studios and be bosses and be the kinds of people who like don't are, want unions are, uh, don't want unions you know it's the classic like small business tyrant sort of thing sure. which i you know i i talked about like i had a podcast uh called the blood zone which i haven't updated in in a couple years now great but name I did for a, a podcast though yeah i did an episode with my friend alex ross and like uh the i called it the adorable small business tyrant thing <laughs> like the we're, we're gonna make you know adorable cute games or whatever and we're gonna but we're also gonna have like the small business like mindset of like well why don't you like don't you care about me don't you care about us succeeding why can't you take a you know why can't you deal with these bad conditions and horrible you know <laughs> you know it's a classic small business thing yeah. but no anyway, it's true like, and like it is it is like it, it it's so funny that what you're talking about though like because it, it it reminds me so much of 
the kind of problems in academia too. And like, it, it's interesting that academic work on video games has not gotten the same kind of foothold there because the, the, the kind of like grind there is so similar in that mm-hmm. you are, you are at once supposed to understand the Academy has problems, but then also acknowledge that you want a position in the Academy. So talking about the problems in a non-political way might not be so smart. So yeah, it's very like coded. <laughs> yeah, right. You're supposed to say certain things to indicate you understand the problems are there. But if you suggest certain solutions, then you're going to get find yourself out of a job. And it's like it. it you're right that like it doesn't particularly uh, it doesn't give you a lot of hope for like, you know, what what's possible in that space. I do think it's interesting, you know, like in, in sort of like this, the, the sort of like longer uh, extrapolation of like the the indie space. I, what I find interesting, and I've never really thought about before. So thank you for that. Is like the way that the idea of a market, right? Instead of um, a uh, or the, the idea that video games are viable because of a market, as opposed to simply viable because of ideas, regardless of how much money they make, is something that is yeah. extremely pernicious because you can start from very good intentions of saying like, well, we have to make enough money so that people will see this and understand the value of the genre and et cetera, et cetera. But like, ultimately you're absolutely correct in saying that like, you know, like I I don't mind a middle brow when it comes to taste. If the middle brow is only a middle brow because of a middle market, then it's a problem. I think that, that like that sort of like uh, syllogism I was doing before, like mistake I was doing before is not so, so far off in that like, you know, you can have like, you know, the kind of games Annapurna puts out can be great. It's that like we're marketing those and then sort of shunting off the others to a to an undesirable place. That is the issue. Well, it's it's about respectability, too. It's about mm-hmm. how like a lot of the people who work in the industry who are insecure about, you know, the status of video games or the fact that there are so many games featuring gun violence and all that stuff, which I totally understand. Um, but a lot of those people, like their way of, it's about assuaging their insecurities. I think more than it's about like, you know, like creating a more substantial, long lasting idea of artistry that is important in games. And like, if, if you want to do that, you have to do that outside of the market and you have to do that, including, you know, as many different types of games as you can. Yeah. Like, you can't say that this thing doesn't belong because it do- it has guns in it. Because there are games like Cruelty Squad, for example, which are like... That has not guns. Respe- <laughs> yeah, it has guns. Not a respectable looking or feeling game, but a, a deeply interesting, artistic, you know, very refined for what it is type of experience that a lot of people appreciate and that has meaning for a lot of people. But then, but a lot of those people, they don't want stuff like that. They don't they don't mm-hmm. want that, you mm-hmm. know, uh, but that stuff is going to keep existing regardless of what they want or not, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, so, like I, that's the issue. I guess the, the idea that it will keep existing regardless of their desires is like it's it's uplifting in a certain way in that, like, you know, it, I guess the 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 accessibility of. Uh, I don't know, the tools to create certain games is uh, is a boon in that like it does democratize. I hate hate using the word, but it like democratizes like the idea of, you know, making a game that doesn't have to have like the 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 politics of a studio behind it. But mm-hmm. it is like it is, as you say, like about like GDC and then the, like the experimental games becoming like the the de facto trans game like it is like it's troubling to see within the within the industry this this urge to legitimize like and delegitimize identities, right? Like that, that's, that's Mm. troubling. 
Well, yeah, and and pushing a certain image of like I don't know. This is the thing that I had so many issues with, like the wholesome. Ga- did did you follow the wholesome game stuff at all? No, that's like okay. The the, the very way that that's said makes me like okay. It just well, like gives I'm, me hives. I'm, like the idea, the idea okay. of a wholesome game. Like it's just like I I, I get I get but why it's you, good, but have you heard about it? I don't think I have. I mean, I've heard about oh, like I've heard okay. about like the idea well, of. I, I'm glad that you missed this whole discourse because it was. Please, please yeah. ruin me at this point. But yeah, what's what's the deal there? <laughs> please ruin. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it was around 2019, 2020 because of the success of games like, uh, you know, the Goose Game, mm-hmm. uh, Untitled Goose Game, or, you know, there were some other things. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, a lot of these like colorful, I, I'd say kind of Nintendo inspired uh, flat shaded 3D. You know what type yep. of game I'm talking totally. about. You've seen a billion of them. Absolutely, um, I have. Yeah, there there are good and bad. Yes, of course, I totally. Yes, totally hear of you. course. Like anything else, there are good and bad ones. A short hike was another example of one that a lot of people like. That game is. I I, I like that game well enough. Um, but um, uh, so like there, there's like a. I don't know if it was like a, a studio or like a, a basically consolidated into a marketing category called wholesome games. And it's like, I don't know, some kind of like organization uh, where they're like, we, you know, we want to forward this type of games. And like the implicit idea is like, you know, we want games that are, are about togetherness and not about, you know, violence and, you know, evil stuff. And, and it's all these like very colorful games that it's kind of like this sickly sweet thing. And it just like, it, it feels like a weirdly poised, like, you know, twee, like liberal mm-hmm. culture war type thing where it's like, you know, we got the dark gritty military shooters and we got the, the nice, you know lovely wholesome games that are about togetherness and to me it's like i I hate that those kinds of fucking binaries and like yeah uh, you know like one of my and many people's criticisms is just like it's it's conservative in kind of the same way that like a lot of you know first person shooters are conservative in that it's so inherently limited um and it's pushing like certain artistic ideas ideologies that are kind of like unevaluated but the the problem with the wholesome game stuff is a lot of people were very angry about the criticism because it was coming from like this liberal like you know we're we we have more poc developers we have more like queer developers which for me again as somebody who's like queer trans and has done stuff it's like well this is again an active effort to like push out stuff by queer or POC people. That's not, you know, respectable and right. You know, like that involves violence or is weird or unsettling or uncomfortable. And, but there was like a lot of industry push, um, around wholesome games, but I, I don't really think that as much as some of those games, like there are, there are handfuls that were successful, but I don't really think it was successful in terms of like, the lasting, you know, visibility or success of a lot of those games, because you, you look at their YouTube channel and like they post trailers all the time. And like so little of that stuff has any visibility. Yeah. And it, it, it looks all, all the same, like a lot of it. And I'm sure there are great games in there that are getting lost because they're not being presented in a way that is like helpful to them. And I, that sort of homogeneity is like what I really hate in terms of like, I, I want, like, if we're really about giving people, 
the 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 ways to like uh express things about their fucking lives or whatever that aren't normally represented in games you know especially if they're queer or or poc or you know have um you know not from the dominant culture then this there's just an inherent real deep cynicism to the idea that it has to like fit within this framework and this is what you have to do now and like why should i trust the people who are running this who are who are profiting off of people doing this because you know like my experience with queer community and games is like some people's uh, there are a handful of people who got social status and cloud off of a lot of stuff that other people were making and they didn't necessarily act appropriately within that or you know some of them acted like shit and you know no i mean it's just it's uh, it's it's the i think the other mistake like the other sort of like troubling element of it is it i mean aside from that you could just as easily call wholesome games like focus on the family and not not miss a beat like yeah well and and people would make that criticism then people would be like incredibly angry at them about (laughs) it it's like how dare you we you know we employ all these queer and poc developers and it's like well but that's what you're doing with it like that's the problem yeah and it's like if to me it's it's also this it's also this strange like again very liberal um uh, in, in the american sense like uh, approach to uh, queer creators where you're just like, well, they're they're queer creators. They can't. They're, they're they must be uh, good people. Like the the idea that there could never be someone who is queer who has like a uh, doesn't have like the community or like you know their their friends or the the left's best uh, interests at heart. Um, and it is or it's that, infantilizing. Like, tweet, yeah. Yeah. Or it's infantil infantilizing is a great word for like the entirety of it. Or or like this idea that like twee games about, you know, all these are uh, so many of these are about like the fantasy of moving to a small town and <laughs> creating a small running a small business or, you know, yep. like, you know, being a farmer, you know, like a lot a lot of them is inspired by like um Stardew Valley and yeah. things like that because they're successful. Or like cooking games or like there's this kind of like weirdly conservative you know like back to home back to nature thing like <laughs> element to it that it is like it's impossible to ignore the more stuff that you look at it like that and that's that's the kind of problem and that's why i said that's why i said that it's kind of part of the same problem that like a lot of the violent military you know fps games are just a, a different expression of the same problem but yeah i i don't know a lot of that stuff is still like a lot of that stuff was very driven in the more professional development space because there were a lot of people who were you know unhappy with the toxicity of of existing game culture but a lot of that comes with this idea that they can escape and create a separate category which is again back to the fantasy of Genova chen and you know people like that and and it just it's not it's not worked like <laughs> like that yeah, you know right the game industry is still toxic and it still has to deal with all those issues. And, and that's the, the problem that I have. And that's the problem that I had with, with GDC in terms of the way that people dealt with, you know, like thinking that like so many of these issues in the game development space that have not been resolved at all, um, are resolved somehow because like we have more, you know, diverse faces or whatever. Um, and, and I don't know, that's, 
I mean, in addition to all the fucking Web3 stuff. Okay, was, yeah, I was going to bring that up because, like, I, I think I think we've somehow organically worked through everything on the list. This is why you're such a good guest. Like, I I, I barely have to do anything. This is wonderful. Uh, no, uh, no. That's, that's, what it, that's what comes from hosting a podcast of my own yes, where it. I have to direct things. <laughs> Which, by the way, listen to the Kitchfork podcast. I was just uh, about in, to ask. Yeah, it's a podcast about indie music of the 2000s. Ooh. And... 90s ish but yeah okay yeah yeah i mean this is this is it was one of those things where i was like this has mentioned our podcast like three times but hasn't named it i should probably tell her (laughs) that's something i would do on a podcast um but yeah no it's it it's like i i think what's interesting is we've sort of like organically worked through all of this and like i want to talk about web3 so i'm not cutting you off i i just think what's interesting about all this is that it does boil down to this this sort of like pervasive concern over you know like where the status of creators is within the games creation uh industry as such or even just the community Mm. right like like everything seems to i mean you could definitely say it boils down to money which of course it does like most things do but like it also boils down to like okay so like where where do where do the creators where do they stand uh within this and it seems like that's like a very open question within uh, the GDC community. I mean, one thing, one thing I want to ask before we get to web three is like, you know, I think if I were a games creator, um, and you know, unfortunately I chose the criticism side of things, which is much more boring, but, um, if I were a games, creator, <laughs> which is also a space that arguably doesn't exist anymore, nope, not real anymore. No, I, I'm, I'm just doing this so I could talk to people. I, like, I don't, I, I, and, like, I, I think, I think what I do is not any more games criticism, which is why I think it's still like something I can say is real. Um, not to say that the people doing games criticism aren't real. I, I, I very much sympathize with you, but my writing about games is much more about like thinking about games and you know the people who are making them and stuff like that. The, the idea of like coming up with a literary critical language for games is uh, is a dead a dead fantasy uh, because a lot yeah, of yeah. I mean, up. it's still. I'm sure it'll come back. You know, like and, everything yeah, does. Always, everything has a season. Yeah. But yeah. But like the you know if I were if I were thinking of making games, I would assume okay, I got to get to GDC because. That must be a great place to network and get to know people. Yeah, is, exactly. is that still true? Is that like is that a thing? Like, if I was like a brand new games creator who maybe didn't necessarily want to become like a small business owner and start my own thing, or I wanted to like meet people who might be interested in the same stuff I or like you know make connections, is that still something that GDC is, or has it become like much more about you know corporate connections and 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 sort of like. Um, professionalization and stuff like that well it's interesting it it i don't know it's it contains so many different elements i, I guess that's why i say it's kind of everything everywhere all at once and i just <laughs> felt like there was something very fellini-esque about gdc this year before i got covid i just felt like i was rolling into a you know slightly unhinged into a new thing but there was this creeping dread you know yeah. it's like it's it's a perfect um, la dolce vita sort I of say that is very fellini-esque yeah yeah, the creeping dread was was getting COVID. <laughs> well, at least at least the creeping dread didn't end up being like a a, a total existential meltdown. COVID, COVID in, yeah. in comparison seems it, it didn't turn out your to be your mentor like murdered his family or what? Oh, spoilers to <laughs> spoilers for, for Latolce. Spo- I'm sorry. Oh my god, uh, this, I was just going to cover it on the podcast. 
Oh, that sort of happened though. With a lot of people were let down by their role models who, you know, they thought were like, uh, big, important, uh, people in the industry who they looked up to. And a lot of those people, you know, have had things come out about them, about working, especially Mm -hmm. a lot of indie people. Um, that started happening like at the end of 2019 and, um, and it sort of happened with that, um, that uh people make games video about some uh, they talked about the monument guy monument valley guy and like robin honicky um and also uh, of of phenomena and also um there was another article about steve gainer from fulbright um just like working conditions not being good at those places but anyway like yeah so so like those things have been you know a lot, and those people are people who were very very visible uh, as successful and influential, like people in the indie space, especially, um, but that people in the industry also broadly look to being like, Oh, you know, if I wanted to quit my industry job and start an indie studio, this is the person that I want to emulate. And then, you know, stuff coming out about them. And so, so there's a little bit of a disillusionment there, but anyway, going back to what I was saying, like the, the kind of everything everywhere, all at once (laughs) aspect of it is that like, um, I do think it is useful for networking, um, for like, you know, meeting with publishers or whatever, because so many people go to the same space and it's not as big as something like Penny Arcade Expo, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, it's big, but it's not that big. Um, it's not consumer focused, so you're not dealing with that aspect about it. So it's easier to have conversations, that are more, you know, in depth with people and, and kind of make those appointments. And, and so a lot of people go there for that. Um, the other thing is like, it, it is a very, it is definitely a professional conference in like a, a venue, the Moscone center in San Francisco that hosts a lot of like tech conferences, but also there's this group of a lot of like indie developers and stuff do go there and just kind of hang out in the park. And like, it has hmm. become important for a lot of people to meet uh, because a lot of these people, it's like a, a lot of people who I met going to GDC, I would never have gotten to meet because maybe they're kind of shut-ins <laughs> or at least they or they live halfway across the world or they live in another city in the country and I like never get to see them. So it is like an important community building thing sure. for like indie games, especially or for people on the fringes that I think has been like really decimated by it not happening, you know, uh, since 2019. Sure, of like. Because I do think there was more of a coherent sense of community when uh, it was a smaller group of people and a lot of people went to there. And so there are a lot of people that I met who, you know, are all names in that space who, you know, I had some nice conversations with and some who I had some not so nice conversations (laughs) with. Um, But like, I think that's it's really important um, for that realm. and, And that's why, like, I think people should go if they're able to. But then, like, there's also like. The element of, I don't know how useful it is with some of the talks, like some of them are are presumably useful. Some of it is like probably information that you could get easily elsewhere, like a lot of the stuff about marketing. And and then there's a lot of stuff that is just paid for by, you know, like Web3 companies or whatever. What's what's happening with Web3? Because like, obviously it's it's happening everywhere. People love to uh, hype up Web3 wherever they can. It was, it was, it's interesting because like last year I went and it was kind of like weirdly barren and it was kind of a bummer, but like you did have more time to talk to people Mm -hmm. and, um, but it was 
totally dominated by web three stuff. It was like mm. everywhere. It was just like, I don't know. It's it impossible to avoid. And it was still definitely there this year. Um, but it was like crowded out a little bit more. And there is this sense that like, maybe a lot of the people who submitted, uh, to GDC to a lot of the companies, like there was one called we made, we mix that had like <laughs> giant banners and like this, there were so many, very cool, um, very cool name for your company. Just perfect. Yeah. No notes. <laughs> But someone posted uh, on the expo floor, there was like a, 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 a thing that said like the blockchain gaming alliance. And then it had like in 2022, it had this massive number of like logos of companies on it. And then they found the same thing this year and it was about half as Ooh, many, you know, brutal. which was still yeah. a lot. But like there is this sense that like um, maybe it's the kind of runoff of like uh, the the end of the, the, the sort of crypto hype wave that. It still hasn't completely run off. So it'll be interesting to see how it is next year, but there was still definitely a lot of that stuff there. Um, and you know, who knows, but it like GDC has, has been that way. Like traditionally, like there's been so many waves of hype around, like the, there was a wave of hype around like mobile games. Sure. Uh, there used to be like a separate mobile conference entirely that they got rid of. Um, and then there was a, a VR, a separate VR track. There was a, social games were really big at one point, you know. So it's like there's always like something. I'm sure like AI is going to be the the next thing that everyone's talking about, right. you know. In the so it, there's always something, you know, there that you kind of just have to. I don't know. It's, you know, it's a big corporate convention center and people are trying to make money advertising their shit. So yeah, it, it's always going to be there. It's it, it's so interesting how like how much I, I mean, I really should probably be paying more attention to it because it really is like this this like um, I don't know. It, it's very much like academia. It's so strange, like even to the point of like, you know, we're we're coming up with ways to, uh, to we're coming up with ways to make it so that. Uh, you know, the, we can make some money and we can make some uh, people, you know, their careers if they get in like right now. Like, you know, you, you could be like one of the first three people to do this. You can have your career based on it. It's like it, it is that. Yeah, that kind. that's especially yeah. true in games, too, because it's a little bit less. I mean, games academia has been a thing for like the last 20 years or so, mm -hmm. but like more or less. Yeah, it's a little bit less formed so there is like i think a lot of people are, are are trying to plant their flag there and being like i'm gonna be the person you know yeah yeah and like that i mean if you can be the first person to do it you can get a career out of it and it's just like it's such a strange it, it's such a strange like um uh kind of give and take there because of course like you get people who presumably care very much about about what they're doing but you also get people who are just like, I have to I have to make this my thing or else I won't have a career. And it just it. it yeah, you know, it, it's it's an odd it's an odd like um, dynamic and, and one that that doesn't always one that doesn't always like actually help the the um, or ever maybe help the actual stuff being made. Like, I'm not sure any of that is good for games as such. No, but it's, you know, it's what the industry is mm -hmm. and, and GDC was what GDC is, which is it's giant behemoth, uh, place where people go to sell themselves and, yep. you know, network and anything cool that happens happens in the cracks of it. But, you know, and that's been my experience 
for the last 10 years of going, you know, I, I think 2012 was the first year I went. So, but, um, cool. you know, and that's why I've tried to get involved with things like IGF or, or the experimental game workshop that, which I, Got COVID, so I had to co-host remotely. Oh, um, that's impressive. So that was, it was impressive, but it was like one of the only, like in 2022, they made it so like a lot of people could present remotely and then they got rid of that. Um, but like we were one of the few exceptions because um, we had like the experimental game workshop has been a thing that traditionally happens at the end of GDC. And it's like a big, uh, it's a, a big session of like a bunch of different, we, we were show, like, there were talks about like from developers about like 12 different games there. So like, which we took submissions from and like, you know, we had like, I don't know, like 120 submissions or something. Wow. Um, and picked from that. Yeah. So it was, it's a lot of work to put together and I'm, I must say it was very well organized. Um, and, and that's not my doing, uh, per se. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely but, um, you're doing good job just to you. I mean, like I, I'm definitely part of the process, but, um, anyway, like I, I, I think like the idea of that is to kind of be something that is a little bit more inspiring and offbeat. And so that's always been the idea, even, you know, with the criticisms of it. Um, and so, we, you know, we try to continue that in continue the spirit of that while also like expanding it out um, in terms of artistry. So, like, I think there are there are always things that give you hope when you go to something like yeah. that. And then there are always things that make you feel like, Oh, this is so fucking depressing. <laughs> like, I don't know how it could get more depressing. So <laughs> all about, all about like making the hope, uh, bigger than the depression. Yeah. And like having gone to it so many times, like the first time I went, I was like, Oh my God, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I, I, I was like, this is a nightmare, you know, like I, I, I did not, I hated it, but I, I think I'm like, I, maybe it's just like when you get older, you can compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's also just like, I don't know. I think it's also just like helpful when you can kind of understand that the world isn't a perfect place when you, when you get older, like that's such an old person thing to say, but like, that's not to say that you can't strive to make it a perfect place. It's more to say like, you, you get there and you're not immediately furious that the the dumb blockchain banner is there. You're just like, OK, that's just part of it. Let's just like get to the good stuff. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I definitely got pretty mad about the, the lines. Oh, I mean, at GDC. Yeah, OK, that seems like a reasonable thing to get mad at. That's like that's new and that's irritating. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It is like. I don't want to be too optimistic and I don't want to be too pessimistic, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I mean, well, you don't want to be naive, but you also don't want to you don't want to paint it to be a hopeless situation. I mean, I think that's like one of the reasons that I, I really like your um, thoughts on GDC is like, you know, they're not sunshine and lollipops or whatever. It's not like just like, oh, it's it was the best. And, and you know, like I can't can't wait for the games industry to get even better. Um but it's also not like hopeless. And I feel like there's like a, a, a trend for people to be like hopeless. There was some there was some posts that people yeah. were dunking on on Twitter. That is really trendy right now yeah. as people being hopeless. No, it is like and I mean, like, obviously, hopelessness is 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 warranted. You can I, I feel hopeless some days, too. It's perfectly reasonable. But like the idea that you would then like be like, how can anyone have hope? Like all you people who have hope, yeah. you're like you're very stupid. And like it's you can also feel that way. I mean, that's fine, but like, it's not, it's not a particularly like 
helpful way to always think all the time. Like it's always really good to try and figure out like a way to see some sort of path forward. And like, I think what I, what I liked about your analysis is like, it is properly critical, but it's also like you're, you're with your work with the experimental games. Like it's clearly like you have an idea of like, well, what's good about this and like what, what is, what is worth like encouraging and, and growing and, and seeing more of. Yeah. I, I mean, and I guess like being open about stuff and whatever, I'm not saying I make a lot of money and, and that is probably a result of the fact that like, you know, <laughs> I uh, helped go found Game Workers Unite or like do other stuff like which, you know, I wasn't, I think that was my one other appearance on this podcast was talking about Game Workers Unite. Really? And That's I wasn't what I really had you involved. on for? Oh, wow. Yeah. What a, what a terrible use of, of, of my friends. This is awful. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't like super involved past the initial stages, but I think that the issue that I had with, with that, which, uh, was, was, I think uh, definitely like, you know, it, it was it was super great that it happened um and you know i i have a lot of and, and i do think it it got a lot of people i've anecdotally talked to people who worked at studios who were like well game workers unite was the first exposure that i had to the idea that we could do this who are actually you know working to try to unionize their studios now so it obviously like had a huge impact yeah. and like i i I like that I can have a, a tiny infinitesimal part of that. Um, but like the thing with that is like when like a lot of those waves, like when they happened, they're so they were so intense. Like it's like, you know, it's like the lefty podcast yep, wave or whatever. Absolutely. Everyone's starting a, a fucking podcast. Everyone wants to be a certain kind of trendy person. Everyone's doing this. And like by the time that the wave has happened, it's almost already over. Like, mm -hmm. or at least like it becomes so difficult uh, to when when there's like waves of these things, it becomes so difficult to like maintain or or, you know, like keep any track of keep any hold of and and that was my issue with that is like there was no way to like have any sense of like what this was to step back no one wanted to no one wants to step back everyone wants to push forward push forward push forward and everyone gets this idea that like oh we're gonna change things forever and then you know two years later it's like uh question mark you know <laughs> right. like where are they and that it's like that has been so many different things that have, that have happened and that's like why i was so reticent to get involved like deeply with some of these things that i felt like were gonna end up dying out like in in a couple of years when as people burned out and like and i i think that and that's the thing like in times where people get more despairing and more depressed, there's also more of a window of opportunity to like build something longer lasting and be more realistic about mm -hmm. it, which I think is important. And I hope people understand that it's like a, a process and it's a cycle and they don't get so fucking, you know, invested in, um, in the narrative that like it has to happen in a wave like that. Like those waves happen for a reason, but like, like it's, if you if you buy into the idea of like the wave like that that's gonna be what's gonna you know <laughs> what's gonna democratize the world what's gonna you know create a better reality then you're gonna be really disillusioned and maybe get into like fucking reactionary shit because um invariably like waves pass like they yep. always do 
and and that's a, the the frustration that I have about so much of like the disillusionment that people are expressing and stuff. And and there are a lot of good reasons to express that that I think are important and valuable that people should have expressed before more. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like it's. I don't know. It's important to realize that like in times that where things are like seem really bleak and dark, there are also like windows of opportunity that aren't actually there in times when a lot of stuff is blowing up right. because there's a possibility of like doing stuff more longer term that when oh the next wave hits has more power and ability to like actually make changes to actually do stuff. Cause like, things born out of like these waves like game workers unite like it's difficult to sustain them uh when like so much of their existence is <laughs> came in a wave you yeah. know it's not like a and, and and that was like a thing that was frustrating about it is like people are like oh well games have unions now like <laughs> oh you must be this really organized thing and it's like literally like no we just threw it together to do something yeah i feel like know? i was one it, of the only people that that got that side of the story probably because i talked to you where like I, I everyone was talking about game workers united as this like cohesive thing and i was like everyone i've talked to seems to think it's not that but all right like whatever i guess it's yeah but that's the thing anytime something like blows up like that it's just assumed mm-hmm. that there's all this stuff there that like and it's it's difficult to like you know, because then it creates this assumption that there's, oh, my God, there's this whole infrastructure there, uh, you know, supreme, and then when it like invariably kind of deflates, then people are like, well, where did all that go? And it's like, well, there wasn't a lot of that there in the first right. place. And, then, you and know? then, of course, like it's very easy for reactionaries to use that to say, like, look, they had all this momentum and they couldn't make it happen. Um, yeah, well, you you can't make something happen like in fucking a year or yeah. two, you know. I mean, this is a problem with the Bernie campaign. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean it is like it's it's just like the I mean, and of course, like that's a problem with the Bernie campaign that is like endemic to you know the Democratic National Party, where like he has to build it up every time he wants to do it because uh, he you know he's not the incumbent. Basically, they want to run, and so like you get a guy telling you all his good ideas for six months and it's just not as long as the other guys. It's just, that's kind of how it goes. So like, you know, I think when you're in that position, when you're in the underdog position, uh, particularly when it comes to like unionizing and things like that, part of it is, and I think we've seen this with like Amazon and Starbucks and et cetera, is like just understanding that part of what you're doing is, is, is laying out the the steps for uh, future people, for future folks to have like a, you know, something to build off of. And like, I think that's like true yeah. in gaming too. Like a lot of the best stuff I've seen in gaming and like the best sort of trends I've seen in gaming come from people learning from others who may not have, you know, it, it, it it's never going to be like a commercial or maybe it never was a commercial success or whatever, but like influentially they're sort of drawing from previous waves, as you say, like very helpfully in like in fun and interesting ways, as opposed to ways of saying like, you know, why did this fail more like taking the seeds yeah. and building something else. I, I, no one talks about like, oh, why did the Velvet Underground fail? You know, <laughs> right. I know it's a classic example, but like as a music fan, it's impossible to ignore that like, oh, this band was one of the most influential artists of the 20th century. And uh, but if you use the language of the market to talk about oh, them, then failure. yeah, they were not successful. Yeah, exactly. You know, white lay, I mean, white they, they had their, they had. Yeah, like they had fans, like especially towards the end of their career. But like it wasn't 
you know, it wasn't, they weren't, they weren't like treated like they are now, of course. So it is like, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a classic thing to remember. And, and maybe like being around music, uh, stuff, like it's just already internalized to me that that is, that that stuff is going to exist. But like, I think that, I think the main thing is, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. And it, it, it's also that like people really need to realize that they have less to lose than they think they, mm-hmm. they do, you know, like talking about unions and stuff is important. And I'm not saying if you work at a fucking triple a job, you should start like openly agitating. Cause you probably will get fired. But like, like, um, there are a lot of positions and places where people should be more open about like how much money they make, like, you know, yeah. in the indie space, like what, what the contracts are that they were, they're working with, like in terms of, cause like a lot of this stuff, like, is so heavily weighted against individual people. And generally like this information, if it gets passed down, get passed down in whisper networks. And the thing with whisper networks is like, if you're not connected to those networks, you're not going to hear it. And like whisper networks sometimes are wrong about stuff anyway. Like I've heard people be gossipy and then it turns out that person is just like bitter about somebody and it has nothing to do with anything. That's how whisper networks work. Yeah. That's, that's the good and the bad. I mean, it's why, it's why whisper networks are generally confined to like, a certain group of people because it's like well we don't know this for sure but we're trying to protect each other but like that doesn't help everyone then yeah exactly like being open is much more so much of like the indie game stuff like uh, i've uh, every time that something came out about like like the alec holoka Mm -hmm. thing the night in the woods guy like that's such a that's such a tragic story in many different ways but like uh, people were like, oh, I had heard about Alec like 10 years ago. And it's like, well, I didn't know about this stuff. You know, yeah. no one told me about these things. And I'm like reasonably well connected. So I, I I don't know. Even people who I didn't like, who then something comes out about them. It's like, well, I assumed that they were at least competent at, you know, doing this stuff. But I guess not. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, for sure. And like it is it's it's one of those things where like, you know, like I've. I, I remember talking to to Scott after the the uh, the Alec Holko thing, and like Scott was very open. Like, I mean, I gave him some time, obviously, but like, was very open about it all. But it also was one of those things where it's like, that's just like one. That's just like you know, I can talk to Scott about that because I have a relationship with him, and I know he'll be honest with me, and I he wouldn't, you know, he he shared what he could, and he's very open. But like, it's like six things that had to go right for for like some of that information to get out there. And it's like, God, this is, this yeah. is just not like this doesn't, this isn't how like you can have um, accountability throughout like an entire, you know, uh, industry. Um, not that any industry has accountability, but like, that's not how you build it. You don't build it hoping for the best. Yeah. Like th- the point is like, I think people have less to lose than they think that they do. And like, I, I, I don't know. I just like, I think that there's a lot of stuff that has to happen, but um it's not, there's a lot of opportunity to be more optimistic about stuff. And there are people who care about stuff, but it, it just is like, you kind of have to work within existing frameworks and whatever to deal with this stuff. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's all I would yeah. say about no, that. No, I think you're right. I, and, uh, so I'll, I'll let you, although GDC needs to change their fucking COVID policy. I, okay, I don't know. They should require per- masks. Perfectly. Yeah. If they're going to do the testing like that, just require masks. Like what's the, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it feels like no one does anymore, but like I got COVID. That was the first time I've ever tested positive. I had to miss like part of the, you know, conference and like, 
uh, which didn't end up being a huge deal, but it, it made me really sad because there was like, I was doing this, um, co-hosting of this, this thing for the first time. And, you know, yeah. pretty emotional about wanting to, to see all the people in person giving their talks and everything, although we had a few on video, but yeah. And then my friend got COVID and my friend has a, a serious health condition and like got hit by it really hard and thankfully got like Paxlovid and all that kind of stuff. Oh. But like, like it's, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I had my mask on, like, you know, it, other than like eating food or outside, but even then I'm like going to have to think about how to do this. So that's the, the background concern. And like, I don't know if anything's going to be done to mitigate that, but was like a serious problem. Like a lot of people caught COVID yeah. way more than I heard, uh, than in 2022 when people were way more paranoid about it, um, at GDC. I wonder why the so, lack of paranoia, uh, um, helped, uh, didn't did, like made less COVID happen or made more COVID happen. No, made, I mean, it, that's what I meant. Made, yeah. Why, yeah, why did the lack of paranoia do that? I guess we'll, I guess we'll never know. It's a mystery. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's cause people not wearing their, I, yeah, I know you're joking. But, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, no, but, yeah. It's people not wearing their fucking masks and yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyhow. Yeah. No. Well, thank you so much for being here, Liz. I'll let you go. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff? Um, well, as long as Twitter exists, I'm on Twitter at, at E-L-L-A-G-U-R-O, uh, Eliguro. Yeah. Uh, and I have a podcast called Kitchfork. <laughs> um, and it's about, uh, indie music of the two thousands and sort of, um, you know, like re from a, a reevaluated perspective and the website Pitchfork Media, of course. Well, I, I would hope so. Um, the most um, important website the, of all time. Yeah. With the name Kitchfork. Um, it's kind of about like growing up, uh, with a certain era of like indie music and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, we've been kind of a lot more sporadic with episodes, but hopefully we have a couple coming relatively soon. So it's um, pretty, it's pretty in yeah. right now to be sporadic with episodes, I think. Um, yeah, oh, okay. that's, that's, that's personally what know. I think uh, as, as someone, you know, who has nothing to gain or lose by the sport of city of episodes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the, the piece that I wrote is called the California problem. Yeah, I'll have to link uh, that. Um, I'm excited to, to read it myself actually. And yeah, I can link you the experimental game workshop. If you're somebody working in games who thinks they want to submit the next time we have, uh, we have an opening to submit. Uh, hopefully the video presentation uh, will be available for free. We're hoping it'll be available for free. Um, uh, but there's also like, we need kind of a new uh, a website for it. Um, so I can link you to that if uh, people are interested in that. But cool. um, anyway. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so um, much for being here. This is great. I, I feel like I honestly, I feel like I know a lot more about GDC now. So uh, I hope the audience does too. I'm sure they do, uh, unless they run GDC. Yeah, sorry we went pretty long, no, but I it. feel like people it's... love the long episodes. I I thought, okay. I honestly like for the longest time I was like, oh, I better keep these to an hour. People love that. Like every time I do like a two or three hour episode, people are like, more of this, please. <laughs> I'll oh, see what God. I can do. It's, <laughs> it's so hard to do because like Kitchfork, yeah, like most of the episodes are two hours plus, and it's just like it's a nightmare. To <laughs> fucking do but we end up doing it anyway mm -hmm. uh it's 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 rough being uh someone who wants to do what the people want it's uh but it's our it's our burden to to hold it's it's important <laughs> um all right cool well um 
please come on again soon. And uh, yeah, everyone check out uh, Liz's stuff and I will see you all shortly. See you later. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to. 